from the EAH team. Welcome to Everything About Hydrogen. This is the podcast that explores the world of hydrogen and its derivative technologies and interrogates how it is changing the world of energy as we know it. Join hosts Patrick Malloy, manager in the Breakthrough Technologies Group at RMI, Alicia Eastman, President of Intercontinental Energy, and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, as the team speak to some of the most innovative and exciting players in the industry. If you're a fan of the show, we would love if you'd leave us a five-star review for everything about hydrogen wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help boost us up the charts and help more people find us. And with that, I'll leave it to the team and let's get on with the show. Hey, hey, everybody. Um, This is one of the few unusual episodes where I've actually got the whole dream team on the show. I've got Patrick and I've got Alicia. Hello, both of you. How's it going? Maybe I'm going to start with, uh, gosh, I don't know. I'm going to start with you, Patrick. You must be a very happy man seeing all the Hydrogen Hub activity and everything in the US finally coming together after a long time working. You know, it's it's like the, uh, I feel like I use this analogy quite a bit, but it's like the, the duck, you know, it's graceful on the surface. Meanwhile, for the last more than a year, people have been paddling furiously to get us to, to where we are today. So uh, glad to see it come through, glad to see the announcements uh, released and also you know, I can't help but plug. I'm very excited to to speak with our guests today about precisely some of this. So what about you, Alicia? It's been a very busy week as always, but um, I think I'm operating on less sleep than usual, which is not good for uh, for listeners or <laughs> or other people in a conversation. Not, um, not good for you either. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was in Abu Dhabi for the um, World Investment Forum, the UN World Investment Forum, and uh, I learned many, many new acronyms. There are so many organizations out there, um, but we had a lot of great meetings, um, ministerials and some, some, a lot of private meetings, but high level with all of the usual players like IRENA and, and whatnot, but and World Bank, but also WIDA and a number of different ones that are, are sort of amalgamations of, of different entities. And they're all extremely interested in hydrogen and, and how we can access a lot of pockets of money out there to build projects around the world, specifically, obviously, in developing countries and uh, Global South. That's a, more of a focus. But, you know, if we can do that, that makes it more possible for us to get international regulations or fuel standards or all these different things in place. Um, If we can make a story for the global south, each country, give them a a chance to be a part of this new hydrogen economy. And then we have everyone on board. So I think it was really busy, but still um, but quite important. And and I really um, enjoyed it, actually. How about uh, Chris? What have you been doing? Uh, running around a fair bit. We've been uh, late stage funding around work. So that's been quite busy. Been at the World Hydrogen Congress in Rotterdam, which is great. Currently in uh, JITEX in Dubai. So quite a bit of conference traveling. And um, the, big, the big bit of sort of news from my end or the protein end is that um, after 
a little while, the government finally declared that um, Proteum was one of four winners of their flagship uh, decarbonisation of transport project uh, initiative. So it's a competition called Zerf Zero Emission Road Freight Transport, around 200 million of capital spread across four project winners, two pure BEV, one hybrid BEV and hydrogen and one pure hydrogen consortium. And Proteum is the lead on the uh, Pure Hydrogen Consortium. So about 30-odd million of government grant funding to deploy fuel cell trucks along, along the M4 in the UK. So that was announced on the 19th of October. So that was uh, yesterday. So uh, that's been really nice from our side. Yeah, bravo. That's a lot of good news coming out, uh, especially, um, I guess, the hydrogen hubs. And I think our next guest is actually going to tell us a little bit more about that and, and how exciting it is and how many different programs are going on. Obviously, Patrick is familiar with most of them, but she'll explain in more detail for the listeners. But maybe I'll just do a, a short introduction so that people have understand her extraordinary background. Dr. Sunita Satyapal is the director for the U.S. Department of Energy, or DOE's, Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Technologies Office, and she coordinates activities across the DOE offices for the hydrogen program, which now includes roughly $10 billion, including bipartisan infrastructure law funding. And she was recently named the director of the Hydrogen Interagency Task Force, HIT, which includes 11 federal agencies, and she'll tell us a little bit more about that in the interview to follow. She's had close to three decades of experience across uh, industry, academia, and government, including at United Technologies, managing R&D and business development, and as a co-chair on various international hydrogen partnerships. She got her PhD from Columbia University and did her postdoctoral work in applied and engineering physics at Cornell University. And she has numerous publications, including Scientific American, 10 Patents, and various recognitions, including two presidential rank awards. So I'm feeling lazy after <laughs> reading that. It's uh, something to shoot for and look forward to hearing all she has to say. Sunita, good morning. Great to see you. And I can, say, I can only say on, on behalf of the team here that I think we're all very pleased and privileged to have you on the show so quickly after we've had such a uh, substantial uh, series of announcements. But before we get into that, maybe if you could uh, tell us all and all our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Great. Well, thanks so much for the invitation and for everything that you guys do in your day jobs to advance hydrogen and also just for this podcast to disseminate information. And so I'm Sunita Sachapal. I'm the director for the U.S. Department of Energy, Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Technologies Office and coordinate across DOE. I have various uh, hats, uh, also Hydrogen Interagency Task Force and various um, international partnerships that have been co-leading. So over two and a half decades in hydrogen across industry, governments. And so, you know, basically serve as the coordinator for the U.S. federal uh, agency and Department of Energy activities on hydrogen and fuel cell and various technologies. Exciting stuff. And uh, Sunita, you have to forgive me as the, um, the British constituent here. So I've probably been too much into the weeds of what we're doing on this little island and what we're doing over in Europe. So for my ignorance and maybe the ignorance of several of our guests, 
I know the US just launched a national hygiene strategy. Can you actually tell us a little bit about what the strategy is and what is it that you're looking to uh, Yeah, so first of all, it was required uh, in, in the law, in the bipartisan infrastructure law, and it has to be updated uh, at least every three years. So it, it is a living strategy and it's also a roadmap. So it has concrete actions, milestones, and it's the first in a really comprehensive national strategy. It's not just DOE, but you know, across uh, all uh, agencies and lots of stakeholder input, by the way, with from industry and so forth. We published a draft and then finalized it. And the bottom line, it has goals of 10 million metric tons of clean hydrogen by 2030 uh, for the U.S., uh, double that by 2040, and then five times that, 50 million by 2050. And so it lays out a pathway of how, how can we get there? And if we do hydrogen, clean hydrogen can contribute 10% of our overall greenhouse gas reduction to get to, to net zero. And also talks about jobs, 100,000 uh, jobs by 2030. Um, and the main, I think, takeaway is there are three main components of this overarching national hydrogen strategy. And first is focus the hydrogen on the most strategic high impact uses. So especially those hard to decarbonize sectors, heavy duty transportation, industrial um, applications, enabling long duration storage. And the second pillar is uh, really laser focus on reducing costs. So we obviously have subsidies, tax credits and so forth, but we, we have to ramp up scale and ensure a sustainable, you know, long-term market. So we focus on reducing cost. And then the third is focus on regional networks. So that's where the hydrogen hubs fit in, just in really targeted production and use, um, that connective regional infrastructure. Uh, so those are the, the three main components. And again, we have many concrete actions and uh, really exciting that just a couple of months ago, our Secretary of Energy uh, and the White House and other agencies um, launched the the U.S. National Clean Hydrogen Strategy. And if I may, and the team will know that this is a classic Chris Jackson going slightly uh, in, in with the off script, but I just wanted to ask that this obviously isn't the first time the U.S. has uh, looked to uh, invest in hydrogen. The U.S. has been quite a long-running supporter and investor in hydrogen technologies. I just wondered if there was anything particularly notable that had changed in maybe the strategic focus of this strategy compared to where the U.S. was previously, if that's something you would feel comfortable commenting on. Yeah, I think if you look very early on, and this goes to when we even started the, the DOE program in the 70s when, when DOE was formed, the focus at that time was was during the oil embargo. And so the focus was how do we reduce dependence on foreign oil? So there was a very big uh, push on, on the transportation side. So one of the big changes, of course, it, now really it's how do we get to net zero? So that deep decarbonization, we have so many more tools in the toolbox. So battery electric vehicles for light duty. Uh, again, we've seen so much growth in renewables, the, the need for energy storage. So as and of course, uh, since that time, we also have much lower cost natural gas uh, and lower cost renewables. So looking at those hard to decarbonize segments, especially the, the heavy duty transportation and the industrial applications, I, I would say the, those are one of the, the, the big changes. As you mentioned, you've been working in this industry for over 25 years. 
both private and federal governments in hydrogen and fuel cell across the supply chain. Can you tell us a little bit about the DOE program, hydrogen program, and its biggest success stories and challenges? Yeah, thanks, uh, Alicia. And it's true, after more than a quarter of a century and through all the, the ups and downs, when I think about the role of, for example, the government funding, it's really to help catalyze that R&D, the, the research development. Actually, the, the program covers the entire value chain from basic research all the way through deployment. So helping to, to de-risk the technologies. And we've, uh, based on, on all the funding, we've actually tracked um, some of the metrics in terms of uh, benefit to uh, use of the taxpayer dollars. And we have over 1,300 patents, U.S. patents, issued to you know, companies, universities, labs that have received our funding and about 30 commercial technologies as a result of the, the DOE program and another 65 that we think could be commercial in the next few years. So funding, especially those areas that are higher risk, but potentially higher impact. And then the other uh, example, maybe I'll mention, and some of you may remember this, it was actually more than a decade ago with the uh, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act and that's where we, we had a, a market transformation program, as we called it. And we funded some of the, the very first uh, forklift demonstrations with hydrogen and fuel cells. And then we actually invested, funded with uh, industry cost share a few hundred, uh, again, demonstrating the first of a kind, uh, de-risking the technology when it was harder for the private sector to fund. And now... As you know, with um, major players like Plug Power, there's over 60, I think 70,000, you know, in use. And so there, there are many examples like the, the world's first, first trigen, some of the electrolyzer technologies, our whole uh, national learning demonstration where we've uh, funded, again, in spaces where it was a little bit difficult for the private sector or investors to to fund and help to, to de-risk. So those are just a few examples. And we have many, many examples of um, very specific success stories where we've helped to reduce cost and pave the way for supply chain and so forth. So it's, it's really exciting thanks to, you know, all the hard work across, you know, all the players. Yeah. The, the foray was, was it first about 10 years ago with the program that you mentioned into hydrogen and fuel cells, or had you started looking into it before then? The DOE that is. Oh, it was much earlier, actually. It was, um, I mean, in the U.S., it started, you know, even in the in the 50s with the space program. But DOE was actually formed in the mid-70s. That's when the U.S. Department of Energy was, you know, officially created as we, as we know it. And that was when we, you know, started ramping up. Again, it was much, much smaller, but we actually had a group of um, governments, industry, national labs. So DOE has stewardship over 17 uh, national laboratories. And we met it at Los Alamos National Lab at the time. And that was really the beginning of the hydrogen and fuel cell program as we know it. And of course, the funding has gone up and down over the, the decades. Um, but it's basically half a century old. Yeah. And, and with all these programs, um, is there any way that you've helped really move the needle in hydrogen over the years? I mean, IRA is obviously a good example of, of a real change in appetite for hydrogen in the United States. But are there any other examples of how DOE essentially has 
helped de-risk technology or foster private sector support for hydrogen and, and any ways that, you know, sort of helped us have a step change in the industry. Yeah, I think one of the main ones I think everyone points to is the the forklift example. Again, that was a very uh, niche market. And then there was also uh, on the stationary side, backup power. Uh, there are many examples of the, the world's first uh, demos. So the other one I'll mention is the tri-generation. So the world's first that can take, for example, wastewater treatment, waste gas, and co-produce power, heat, and hydrogen. So you have that you know value add of of electricity, not just hydrogen. And then now we have industry, you know, major players uh, demonstrating at the, I think over a couple of megawatt scale at the port of Long Beach. So that's that's another example. I think there, there are so many, because it's, it's such a broad portfolio over the decades across production, delivery, storage, um, end use technologies, the fuel cells, of course, there, there are many examples the devil's in the details, but for instance, the catalysts or membranes, the the liner for carbon fiber tanks. So there are many, many different examples, uh, I think, that have helped get us where we are today. So, Sunita, maybe maybe following on and, and perhaps pivoting just a little bit, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about some of the, you know, flagship DOE programs on hydrogen, you know, thinking particularly, obviously, the Earthshot We've recently had, obviously, some announcements on on hydrogen hubs, which was, I, I know, a, a substantial effort to to get through the the body of work that had to be done in a short space of time. But also, even even things maybe like the consortia around the million mile uh, fuel cell trucks and sortium. Yes, it's a definitely an exciting time. So hopefully, most of your listeners have heard about the hydrogen energy earth shot or the hydrogen shots, and it was about couple of years ago when President Biden asked our Secretary of Energy, what more can we do to really accelerate progress towards meeting our climate goals? And that was the beginning of the Energy Earthshot initiative. So similar to the moonshot from over half a century ago. And so hydrogen was the first. And the goal is, you know, really easily articulated, really bold target out there to, to really help you know, galvanize the community. So it's one one one, which stands for one dollar for one kilogram of clean hydrogen in one decade. And in the U.S., of course, with really low cost natural gas, hydrogen is you know close to that, or roughly a dollar fifty per kilogram. So the intent there is how do we you know really mobilize, send a strong signal that in the near term, of course, we we have the tax credits, we we can you know start to see um, the market. Grow, but in the long term, to really unlock that market potential, we want it to be competitive. And so the idea is, you know, how can we get down to a dollar? So now that we have, you know, quite a bit of funding, uh, both for the R and D and also to get to scale. So with the hubs, that, that's the the intent there with the the hydrogen shots. Uh, and then, of course, since there's lots of attention on the on the hubs, if you want to make, did you want me to say a little bit more about the? I mean, I think I think this is probably top of everybody's mind, but appreciate you. You've probably got some of the the most kind of central insights or to, that you can share about you know how that how that's rolling out and, and what that means, I suppose, to the the broader ecosystem. So, yes, would love to hear your your thoughts on on kind of the the role of the hubs as a flagship program. Yeah, no, thanks so much, and of course, 
Uh, there's been a lot of attention on that. And we, in fact, established a whole separate office, um, Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations, or OSED, to manage these large-scale, not just hydrogen, but number of other uh, large-scale demonstration projects and a whole office of infrastructure uh, within DOE. And so, as you probably saw, from, and you'll hear a lot more from, from OSED, I'll just uh, mention kind of high level based on the public announcements, but it's seven uh, hubs that were just announced for $7 billion, and the funding for each ranges from roughly $900 million to $1.2 billion each. And what's exciting is, you know, typically for DOE funding, this type of funding, we have a one-to-one call share, but instead of, and so we're putting in $7 billion, but instead of $14 billion, there's actually more than $40 billion of private sector call share for these hubs. So it's nearly $50 billion total in the U.S. And if you add up uh, all the hydrogen proposed, and the, these have just been announced, so the negotiations are you know, will still need to take p- place and in, in the final details uh, to be released. And OSED will release those. But if you add up all the hydrogen, it would amount to about 3 million metric tons from the hub. So that's enabling that our, our national goal of, of 10 million by 2030. And so the seven hubs, um, just to give you a quick preview, is the, it'll go alphabetically, is the Appalachian hub. So that's West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania. That has quite a bit of, of natural gas and um, carbon uh, CCS and uh, pipelines, uh, stations. Um, there's a lot there. Then alphabetically, the, the next one selected was the California um, so that's called Arches, and uh, that's $1.2 billion. There's a huge play there on uh, heavy-duty trucking, transportation. There's ports. Of course, California has been a leader for, for many years on hydrogen. There's also some power. There. For all of these, by the way, I should mention that there's strong focus on um, community benefit plans. That's a requirement, and really ensuring the equity, social, economic, environmental benefit aspect and in many of them, there's tribal engagement, minorities, labor unions. So it's really exciting. And going on alphabetically, then we have the Gulf Coast hub. So it's called High Velocity in Texas. It's centered in, in the Houston region. That has both renewables and uh, natural gas. Also a salt cavern storage and stations, industrial processes in that area, ammonia refineries. Uh, there's also some marine uh, e-methanol fuel projects. The Heartland Hub, so that is uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and it can potentially expand to, to neighboring states. That also includes um, agriculture. There's some co-firing, utility-owned generation. Then, then the Mid-Atlantic Hub, so that's Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey. In that region, there's um, historic uh, oil infrastructure and pipelines, so using that, there's renewables. So there's some nuclear there, transportation, Again, there's, there, it's so exciting because there are multiple uh, end uses uh, across these. And then the Midwest Hydrogen Hub is um, the next one. So that includes Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. And that includes um, industrial transportation corridor in that kind of Midwest region. So it has some steel, other industrial like glass production. There's power generation. Uh, there's even a little sustainable aviation fuel in that one. Um, and then finally, the Pacific Northwest uh, National Hub, which is Washington, Oregon, and Montana. And that one is 
uh, all renewable, so exclusively electrolysis, uh, and has transportation, uh, power, you know, various other uh, end uses. So that's, in a nutshell, uh, the seven hubs that were were just announced. And of course, there'll be a, a lot more detail from each hub. I think maybe Sunita, just quickly to reflect, there's such a such a breadth of of both. Obviously, the geographies that you know this covers are a very very large portion of the the U.S. in general, but also between production differences and offtake kind of and demand sector. I suppose it focuses. It's so, it's so broad. It's it's quite a, a you know monumental effort. But I think maybe just one follow on question, which certainly grabbed my attention as we were looking at these uh, FOAs and, and the various kind of steps in the process around this, that community engagement piece that you flagged was certainly notable when the, the kind of uh, the first announcements kind of came out or the details around uh, applications came out. Can you tell us maybe a little bit more around the you know, the process or the thinking that was kind of underpinning that and why that was such a crucial element within this particular effort? Yeah, thanks so much for for raising that. And and that's been such a high priority of of this administration, of DOE. And as you probably know, we have the the Justice 40 initiative where 40% of specific federal investments need to benefit disadvantaged communities. And so the idea was, you know, recognizing that there are a lot of challenges as we think about really large scale deployments of, you know, even clean it clean energy technologies across the board? And how do we ensure that we engage the communities um, and have those kind of built-in best practices and these concrete CBPs or community benefits plans? And those would also include, you know, workforce, labor, there's interest in apprenticeship programs. How do we uh, hear the, the voice of the, the, the EJ communities really address um, equity, social uh, issues, and energy environmental justice uh, early on and have those built in and a really critical part of even the, the evaluation process and when the hubs get get underway. So I'm glad you, you mentioned that. That's uh, a huge um, aspect of, of really everything we do. Sunita, just observing how many different hubs and different activities within the hubs there are, it seems like there's a lot of work to coordinate all of that. And we've recently seen the announcement from the US government that you have created a hydrogen interagency task force or HIT group, which, um, pardon the terrible pun, is better for an Englishman than the uh, previous acronym IRA. So can you tell us a little more about the HIT and what your plans for that organization are? Yes, and uh, definitely we've been gotten lots of good good feedback on the the acronym, the HIT acronym, um, that it was just announced by the White House and our Deputy Secretary of, of Energy. And it was actually this whole interagency task force or working group was authorized in the Energy Policy Act of 2005. So we've been coordinating across all the agencies, but this the HIT really just elevates um, the importance of, of hydrogen. Because there's still, even though there's a lot of funding, a lot of excitement, there's still a lot of challenges. And I want to really make sure we don't overhype hydrogen. We've, we've gone through so many hype cycles. And so the idea here is we have 11 agencies and the White House and uh, this whole of government approach to 
uh, bring the the different um, authorities, the, the different areas of jurisdiction, to bear on on tackling those big challenges. So, for example, we have Department of Transportation, the Pipeline Hazardous Material Safety Administration. We have EPA. We have Department of Transportation has uh, fueling corridor. Uh, and uh, EPA has port funding. Of course, DOE has the hydrogen hubs and also all the R&D that's still needed. So the idea is, is to really bring together all of them to work now that we have a national hydrogen strategy. And there's still so many issues like permitting, uh, siting, again, depending on the end use applications, all the, the safety codes and standards. So there are three working groups that are being established now. And the first is... Uh, supply and demand. So as you know, we've been investing a lot on the supply side. So for example, the tax credits and electrolysis and so forth. But we have to ensure that we have the the off takers. And so there we're looking at, and, and in some cases, the US government can be an off taker. So we're looking at fleets, what are potential end uses? How do we really catalyze the market? So, and and quantify what the opportunities are. So that's the supply and demand uh, working group. And then the second is the infrastructure siting and permitting working group. So they're, again, bringing together all the relevant agencies to look at, you know, how do we really accelerate uh, in terms of permitting siting? Of course, we have pipelines, we have large scale storage stations and so forth. And then the third working group is just a general analysis. So as we, you know, update the national strategy, uh, DOE also published a commercial liftoff report, looking at the supply chain, just you know, global competitiveness, make sure we, we have a robust supply chain. So, and the whole strategy, so that's the third. And then finally, I'll mention we also have, because hydrogen is so complex, we have the, the whole value chain from production through end use and from basic research all the way to deployment. You know, as you know, we have the loan program office, Jigger 400 billion there. there. There's so many different, you know, pieces of the puzzle that we uh, have. Um, we also have a joint strategy team. And then one of the major working groups there is, is the workforce equity and, and justice piece. So that also is uh, a high priority within within the hit. And it's uh, chaired at the, the White House and deputy uh, secretary level. So again, really uh, elevates it. And uh, so that's, that's really exciting. And I'll also be the, the director of the, the HIT uh, on top of all my other jobs. Um. <laughs> we, know, we know you've also been really interested in diversity, STEM, and international partnerships. What are some of your recent activities in the, in the DAIS uh, space, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion? What are some of the programs that you're working on or, or maybe announcing? Yeah, thanks so much, Alicia. I know we've talked about this in the past, and we have you know many examples over the the years. One of the recent ones, maybe I'll highlight, is in, in the U.S. We have a, a GEM fellowship uh, program. It's graduate education for minority students, and we've had examples. In fact, I, did, I didn't mention much about the Million Mile Fuel Salt Truck Consortium, but we have various consortia to address, for instance, instance um, electrolysis or fuel cell. Uh, R&D, and we have labs, our national labs. We have um, amazing capabilities there, you know, over 50 Nobel Prize winners, just amazing resources. And so we've brought in, for example, at Los Alamos, um, students from, in the U.S., we call them HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities. 
and um, provide them opportunities, you know, help place them in industry. And we have labs, for example, um, the Million Mile Fuel Cell Truck Consortium to, you know, how do we really improve durability, get costs down for the, the truck application and bring in uh, universities, industry uh, to work with labs. And then maybe two other that I'll, I'll mention is just really recently we launched with our international partners under uh, IPHE, which is a government partnership with um, 25 countries. And of course, the Hydrogen Council, as you know, so we launched H2DIA, so the play on, on DIA, uh, meaning day in, in Spanish, and so kind of a new day. And DIA stands for diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, uh, which is a, a high priority initiative within DOE and the U.S. government. So the idea is to basically, it's a, it's a platform where we could bring together governments, industry, other stakeholders to advance uh, diversity, uh, inclusion, equity, specifically for hydrogen. So we'll have a mentor-mentee platform, provide online resources, and we had launched the Early Career Network, the IPHE. So it's run by students, early career professionals, specifically in hydrogen, and it crosses uh, 40 countries now. So the idea, again, is, yes, is to, to help you know bring in the, the next generation of, of leaders in this space. I, I feel like you've perhaps partially answered the, the last question we have for you, but, but nonetheless, I think, I think broader, perhaps, you know, Sunita, you've, you've worked in this field for quite, quite a period of time. You've seen so many things, so many peaks and troughs of, of, you know, the evolution of, of hydrogen and hydrogen applications. I suppose we we couldn't but ask um, a broad question at the end, which is when you're doing this work, when you're driving all this, what do you do to encourage others interested in this field? And how have you found maybe that's evolved or changed over time? Yeah, no, thanks for that question. I think it's it's true after so many decades and just from the, the different experiences. So I started getting interested in hydrogen at United Technologies. And uh, that also went through lots of ups and downs. And uh, many might not know that it uh, started in the, in the space area. So every American manned space mission had used uh, UTC fuel cells that work in, in stationary transportation. And so I did not just R&D, just with the academic background, but business development there. And then I was one of those diehard idealists. I think like many of you t- took a big cut. Um, many out there in the industry had to sell my stock options. And, and then with the goal of having impact, uh, not just for one company, but you know, how do we raise the tide so all the ships go up? So we've done basically to try to attract folks uh, in, in this field. We have fellowships here at DOE. So we, we have um, contractor, also federal positions for U.S. citizens. But try to uh, encourage them to try different things. Um, the Early Career Network, uh, for instance, is another one with IPHC. And just spreading the word, We, of course, we have our national labs. Industry right now, in fact, is a really good time because I know everyone's looking to hire and there just isn't enough in terms of a, of a trained workforce. Uh, we also have a hydrogen uh, safety panel with industry our labs helped to start the Center for Hydrogen Safety, so a lot of training. So just lots more focus on on education and outreach. And so I think those are, are just some of the ways. And of course, the the hubs and, and other you know flagship programs that we have, uh, I think it's is helping to encourage uh, others uh, get into this this field. So it's a it's a really exciting time. 
after all the the ups and downs. Well, I think I think that's the the perfect way to to, to end this. This is an incredibly exciting, challenging, um, but but brilliantly um, open time for for potential evolutions in space and. Uh, Sunita, just to say thank you, thank you to you and your team, and for all the work you've you've been doing over the last while, and and looking forward to seeing the the fruits of the the effort um, you know that DOE has put in over the last number of years, especially coming through. But also, special thanks to you for for coming on today at, at such a busy time to share your story and to share the story around what exactly is going on here in the United States. So, thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much. And, and thanks to, again, there's so many people who've been involved over the decades and across offices, agencies, government, industry, labs, academia. So, you know, big thank you to, to everyone who's helped, you know, stuck with it and helped to get us to this point. So, Patrick, what did you think about Sunita? Any bright uh, observations that you want to share with us? I mean, where to start? I think beyond just the simple kind of awe of someone who has, you know, spent twenty-five odd years working in this space, building this space in in some, you know, false dawns and some very positive times too, for sure. I think thinking all the way back to you know the first kind of efforts of the United States to get kind of hydrogen rolling as a potential kind of solution that died very quickly. You know, I think that was the Bush era administration, possibly, I think it was possibly Bush one. You know, when we think what we've got today with, you know, the announcement of the hydrogen hubs with the focus clearly between the, the Inflation Reduction Act and the infrastructure law, you know, there is so much that has moved in in a very short space of time. And I think, you know, for someone, you know, in Sunita's role, leading obviously the hydrogen and fuel cell office, I can only imagine she's she's pretty, pretty overjoyed with the final kind of dawning, I suppose, in a way of some of these spaces, but also the amount of movement that we now see in the US market compared to those kind of false dawns. So to put this in perspective, maybe perhaps, you know, folks listening in, there, there's this Certainly, the DOE is providing billions of dollars in support directly to the hubs, but they're also, through the loan program office, um, providing support for other pieces of the infrastructure and projects around the, the kind of the space. But we're also waiting on other pieces. You know, this isn't the done announcement and everything's over. It's, it's, it's a case of there is more, more to come when we see what the, the rollout of 45V will show which is obviously a challenge, but it's something that, you know, will tell us a lot about the shape of the market and, and how some of these subsidies will subsidies will roll out. But just fundamentally, this has been a monumental effort from, from the DOE uh, over the last uh, couple of years. And I think it's fair to say that we have seen the commercial sector step up to meet those ambitions in reciprocal sense. And, and I think maybe just for, for awareness for people, you know, the hydrogen hubs effort as much as it is the you know the the kind of front and center item of this this engagement is is fundamentally a cost sharing exercise it's similar to the old h2 at scale effort in 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 a sense uh, which was a much smaller program but one that was incredibly important for showing the scalability of hydrogen and that was run run through the doe as well 
but when it comes down to it, fundamentally, we're we're looking at something that doesn't just give a, a pure handout to, to, to pr- the private sector. It's saying the private sector can de-risk some of the, the initial kind of exposures it has in these first projects or first-of-a-kind projects or first-of-generation projects by, through these subsidies. And that's encouraging not just a 50% match, if you look at what the ambitions of these hubs, but you know a multiple of the subsidy being invested to accelerate this market. This is one of those instances where it looks like policy is really well set up to achieve its goals. And, and you know, it's nice to be able to tell such an optimistic, positive story about this. There's still a lot of road to run. There's a lot of challenges in this because it is what it is. It's a, it's a market in formation. But um, I don't I don't think we're done yet. And, you know, fundamentally, through this, these efforts set off on the best foot that we can. What about you, Alicia? I agree with you. Um, it's 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 interesting. I mean, only in I would say 2020. Yeah, I think still in 2020, we did not think the U.S. would play any part in this hydrogen economy. We thought that if they were to uh, do embrace hydrogen, that it would not be exported and it would not be imported. They would just, you know, make what is necessary, and it would basically be a closed off market. And now it's just you know, flipped. It's just night and day how much uh, the government is trying to make this a market that will work by sort of reallocation of risk. You can. It's not just the money. It's it's also the risk. And if you can if you can do that in a, a very intelligent manner, all sorts of people that can be helpful uh, can actually produce products and or, you know, provide the demand, etc. And so it's complicated, but um, they've done really a great job. And, and I feel like, obviously, Sunita has been in there for two and a half decades, so she's not um, new. But I do think like a lot of the team is new. A lot of the people probably hadn't heard about hydrogen forever. And uh, they've really executed uh, very quickly. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of COVID with the, the couple that just persevered and persevered and never got funding, but they still kept persevering. And, you know, they were the ones who came up with the vaccine. And Sunita seems like one of those people. Like She just kept going and she had a lot of headwinds. And I think very few tailwinds uh, over that period of time. So I, I think it's um, a testament to to how uh, just how uh, relentless and you know um, just how attached attached she is to it. I, d- I did find some very funny um, nicknames that the industry has for her. I don't know if you've heard them, um, but I, I found them to be um, a little bit amusing. They have called her. The Mother Teresa or the Joan of Arc of hydrogen. And they have also called her the primary caregiver of the hydrogen molecule in the U.S. And I think that's really odd <laughs> that <laughs> it's like such female nicknames, you know, <laughs> like um, that obviously have nothing to do with uh, with energy necessarily. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. And I can only imagine just in 25 years how she's come up against as a, as a woman, as an engineer, as, as somebody who is putting forth uh, new ideas to do new things. I think she is pretty tough and has come up with ways to, uh, 
to push this forward. And it's really um, commendable and remarkable. And I think much better than the Mother Teresa of uh, hydrogen. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, well, I'm glad. Glad all the nicknames to start with are positive, which is which is always the danger with nicknames. But you know, cer- certainly, I you know, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head here as well in that it doesn't it doesn't perhaps fully encapsulate the level of efforts and the 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 pure pure perseverance that kind of has gone into this work. So um, I think. While those nicknames are complimentary for sure, they maybe don't quite, uh, as with all <laughs> nicknames, don't quite capture the full spirit. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She's extremely impressive, and it was great to hear the story. And you know, looking forward to the updates on um, all the different uh, sort of policies and and a number of things that need to be decided. But um, there's a reason I think that IRA and and uh, infrastructure fund bill really got. Uh, the rest of the world talking and, and sort of set a higher bar for having more carrots and sticks around the world. And, and so just it, it, even if it didn't accomplish anything more than that, that's super positive. Um, and then, of course, they're diversifying a lot of technology. Um, they're helping to support early stage um, technologies and, and also, of course, uh, subsidizing making hydrogen, but there's just so many things that they're touching on that are important in the whole value chain, and and uh, I think they're going to make a big difference. And maybe not in every bit of the value chain, but but definitely in a number. So it's uh, it was great to to hear from her herself. Yeah, and I think there you 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 make a good point here is that you know this doesn't stand in isolation. This this effort isn't. By virtue of it not being a half step, but a, a full and, and dedicated kind of committed and, and and critically a well well considered, well structured effort, it really has raised the bar of expectation in other geographies. You know, people people often refer to this as almost like a, a like a, some sort of a, a race or a challenge or you know competition. In reality, I think it's actually the manifestation of waking up to the opportunity and the realization of the the deficiencies of the supports up to this point and the need to catch up. So when you see an effort like this come in and drop in as quick a time period as it has, it really does make it tangible for other policymakers to look at what they're doing and realize, well, maybe there is more or better or different that we can be doing and there are lessons to learn from this process. So altogether, fantastic news out of the, particularly the DOE over the last number of number of months. But also, this hasn't gone noticed anywhere else. And if anything, this is one of the time-wise more more consequential drivers of action in the policy space over the last you know probably couple of months anyway for sure. Definitely, and and it's the you know it's the biggest environmental bill in U.S. history that with a. <laughs> you know, kind of a, a locked Congress. <laughs> so it's very, very impressive that it made it through. And then, um, and then that, you know, it's being implemented. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. That was everything about hydrogen hosted by the team, Patrick Malloy, Alicia Eastman, and Chris Jackson. If you have a question for the hydrogen team or any of our guests and would like to get in touch, you can shoot us an email on info at h2podcast.com or alternatively you can follow us on LinkedIn or tweet us our handle is at about hydrogen thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time